Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. History of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Every heart beats true for the red and the blue, and we sing this song to you. Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and I am thrilled to be running onto the field, arms stretched wide in a huge group hug to celebrate the end of the AFLM season with my football finals loving best brains in the biz, super smart Sanctum sisters, broadcasters and bra burners. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Nicole Hayes. Hi, I'm Kate Sia. Hi, I'm Shelley Ware. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hi, it's Lucy Race. Hello, it's Rana Hussein. Hi, it's Alicia Sometimes and I'm pumped. <laughs> Alicia in the house. She's come back on for grand final week like the superstar she is and Rana wearing her Melbourne scarf. We're going to get to all of your feels and I cannot wait to do it. But football proved this weekend that in the words of Motley Crue, it can kickstart my heart even when it's miles away. We send commiserations to the Dogs fans who are listening and acknowledge how tough it is to be on the receiving end of a drought breaker. To the D's fans and there are just so many of you who listen and I won't name them all but huge and special shout outs to Miffy, Cheryl, Cat, Kate, Sue, Nikki and Dan. It's just been the most epic season for you. The game had it all. 61,000 fans in Perth, 57 years for the D's. Dramatic lead changes, fairy tale endings, hearts beating true on the couches in lockdown. I want to hear what your highlights were, ladies. Rana, I'm going to come to you first. Oh, man. How can I give you one highlight? I My heart is bursting. I couldn't concentrate today at work. I am so annoying in the chat group. I just <laughs> All I want to talk about is that game. I will say, when you first said what was my highlight, I have to say the steely look in Christian Petrarca's eyes. He just had that look of someone who was determined, who was ready to go, even at the start of the third quarter when it looked like maybe Western Bulldogs were going to get the better of them. All of them had it, but Christian especially had that look that he just was going to go out and smash this game, and then he did, and I can't get that look out of my head. It's amazing, and I'm going to take that into my day job, I reckon. <laughs> Christian Petrarca and the combination with Luke Jackson was like a tinderbox that went off. Julia, you actually had a fair bit of skin in the game too because your partner is a long-suffering D. What did you make of it? It was such a good game, but for me, yes, my partner is a long-suffering D, but she doesn't really invest. But my mum 
is a long suffering D. And I actually got a phone call from her on the Sunday. So excited. Gave me a huge rundown of the game. I knew she was such a D, but I didn't realize how invested she was. And I had a chat to her today and I just wanted to say a little bit of her story, if that's okay. My mum came to Australia in 1953 as a three-year-old from Abruzzo in Italy. She originally went to boarding school where the Collingwood Children's Farm is right now. And eventually she went back to Paran in 1955, where the reason she became a Melbourne supporter was that in her street, there were some country boys who were Melbourne players. And that was her entree into to footy. But for a long time, it was Ron Barassi, who was her child. Childhood crush, teenage crush, and I checked with her today, is her still current crush. Um, <laughs> and she watched the game with her framed uh, Ron Barassi jersey sitting underneath the TV. So my dad's a Pies member and she's a Demons member and for the last however long, you know, they go to each other's games. So my dad will be sitting in the me- Melbourne members with his Pies scarf on and my mum would do the reverse. So I'm pretty thrilled for her that she's um, been able to watch a premiership where the number 31 kicks six goals. <laughs> that is the beauty of these footy stories. Nicole, as a storyteller, you must have just been licking your chops. What What was your highlight? Oh, gosh. As as we've already said, there are so many. But you can't. if you think about like midway through that third quarter, it really did look like the dogs are running or going to run away with it. They had all the momentum. They were just playing their best football for the day. And then in those last, I think it's like under four minutes, but the final two minutes, there were four goals kicked in 50 seconds by the Demons and completely turned the game around. Um, you could feel it shifting that way, but it was back and forth for ages. And then Ben Brown gets held and gets a kick, a set shot in front of goal. Then the Padraka dribble, which was poetry in motion. And then you've got Sparrow the belter from the centre. <laughs> It just like every kind of kick that everybody wants to sort of they dream that they're going to get. There was one of each, and then Oliver, another one just from outside fifty, and he, you know, that's with ten seconds left or something ridiculous. So, how can you go past four goals in fifty seconds? It's extraordinary. And when we think about the drought breaking stories, I think all eyes now turn to St Kilda. Alicia, your family will be feeling that, given that you've got some Saints fans in your DNA. Um, you watched the game. Does it give you hope that that day's coming? Yeah. Well, my dad is one of those supporters who absolutely hates the team just as much as he loves the team. So if Collingwood's playing, he wants them to lose so much. And so he was going for the dogs because the D's win and all of a sudden the harsh reality hits. And he has been really sad the last few days. And he's thinking about all his memories in black and white. And and he just wants to see, you know, an H- a HD you know, non-COVID grand final where he gets to hug and cry at the wing. And I thought of Rana or all of us being there. And I know that I'm the, you know, the James Jordan of this group because I get a premiership medallion, but I didn't actually sort of play on ground this year. <laughs> but, um, Julia hates that. <laughs> yeah. This is for you, Julia. The 43-point turnaround in 16 minutes are just like uh, Nicole said, just that the quick pace of it. But you know in your heart of hearts when you're watching a game and you think, do I really care about this? Sometimes you intellectually say, look, I'm going 
for Melbourne, but I was sitting with someone who just barracked for Trelaw. They didn't barrack for the Bulldogs or anything, just Trelaw. But in my heart of hearts, I was going for the Ds and I jumped up on the couch and I was screaming and I was just, I was weeping. And so I was a D supporter and to be transformed like that is such a great gift. It sure is. Shelley, you had loved ones who didn't quite make it into the team having been Ds for a very long time. It's a hard, it's a really bitter pill to swallow when you don't get the call up. How did you see this game? Well, it's I've actually only just stopped crying. So thanks for mentioning that again. <laughs> but yeah, I've been crying for the last, well, for the last week and a half of the fact that Neville Jetta didn't get a go in this grand final. It's been difficult, very difficult as he is very loved by our family and one of our family. So it's been hard to watch, but it is what happens in this game. And and that's why I think everyone should get a medal, Julia. But even more so <laughs> this season, more than ever, I've felt that this and I think it is just because we love him so much. It's been very, very, very difficult. But I was very proud of the way that he held himself in the moment before, during and after. He's just a champion of a human. My highlight after I stopped crying was the fact that it was the best game for some of these players that they played all year. You know, we had Brayshaw, French, Petrarca, Brown playing their best games of the year in the grand final. I absolutely love that. Big game players, you know. And, you know, Petrarca, 40 possessions in the grand final. You know, he was just outstanding and, and definitely that steel look was there. There's no question of that. That was the game highlight. But I think what I loved and absolutely loved the most, and it hasn't left my memory, and I mentioned it in our group chat, was when I saw Brayshaw just quietly going down and getting the confetti and wrapping it in his jumper and tucking it into his shorts because I knew that he wanted to take it home as a keepsake. That has literally just stayed. You're all making me cry. I never <laughs> cry. This is too emotional, this grand final. <laughs> but that that has like literally just stayed with me for the last few days of this young man just wanting to treasure every moment. Yeah, there were some beautiful scenes. Katie, you're a romantic footy heart. What stayed with you? Oh, all of the above. <laughs> I, I loved it. There was so much, there was so much to recommend it. And as a, you know, as a neutral, I mean, I was going for the Ds, but I would have been happy for the dogs to win it too. And as a neutral, I just wanted a good game and oh, gosh, it was a good game. Like it was amazing and seesawing. And so many times I thought, you know, I felt confident that the game was over and I thought the Ds were going to win and I thought the Dogs had it and the Ds had it. And that's how, I, that's how I want football to be, actually. I want it to, you know, I want it to be exciting and to keep you guessing. And obviously in the end, um, you know, the Ds really blew them away, but that was exciting for its own reasons too. I just want to mention something outside the game, the pre-match entertainment. I thought it was great and I just want to say that I want Baker Boy to perform at everything all the time, always. There is uh, a bit of a campaign kicking off for Baker Boy to represent present Australia at Eurovision and I want everybody to get behind that because I think that would be amazing. But yeah, for me, it's just the stories of, um, you know, as, as you've all been describing, the stories of people who followed the game for a long time and sharing in that collective joy, I guess. And in the long wait for the game to start, I went for a walk with my dog and in the street over from us, uh, you know, there was a house that had heaps of Dee's memorabilia outside, balloons and flags and things hanging. And there was an older, uh, gent in the front uh, front yard and he stopped and you know talked to talk to me and he had he was decked out in D's gear and it was lovely because I asked him first of all how he was feeling and if he was nervous and he said no I'm not I've had a few stubbies to calm my nerves <laughs> and I'm you know I'm just easing my way into it but 
Uh, he then told me that he was 12 years old when the D's last one and, and he became very emotional and started crying as he recalled that to me and how he remembered his dad who has now passed away watching the game and screaming jumping up and down in the in the lounge room 57 years ago and it's stories like that that I love that I love that and that collective joy and you know actually I've never met him before but when they won I thought of him and and all of those other people who have these connections to family and friends and people they're remembering and stuff and yeah it was just great and fa- fabulous to to see the D's get up it was a long wait it was like a long dramatic labour, the wait for it all to kick in at the end of the day, the transitions. Ben Ben Brown's goal was like when the shoulders finally come through the birthing canal and all of a sudden it was on and we thought we're going to get delivered something precious here. And luckily we had an experienced midwife in Daisy Pierce guiding us through it with her expertise. Our eyes, of course, will now turn to AFLW where, Lucy, you are a D through and through in the AFLW. You were wearing your scarf watching the game Did it feel like your step club-in-law's boyfriend was winning a grand final? Yeah, it really did. And I'd hung my scarf in the window just so that cars going past could see that we were a house that was barracking for the demons. And it says on it, AFLW member, and I'm pretty proud to wear it. Thinking about the heritage of both of those clubs with women's football just makes me love them more. I became a true fan. I wore it. And when the Bulldogs were coming, I retied it. I thought of Kate's ear and said, what would she do here? <laughs> and so I moved my scarf around and turns out it really helped. You know, there was so much on field to really celebrate Ben Brown. Somebody who I thought had such a great game was Christian Salem. And he just, in the, in the last half of the game, I thought just played out of his skin. I Loved watching it. But um, for me, I came back to the song and I kept thinking about that line, should old acquaintance be forgot. And what that really means is it's a call to remember those longstanding relationships. And I felt that that was just the story of the day that I was seeing so many people talking about friends that they wished they could watch the game with. I saw somebody on Twitter who had put out their dad's jacket and tie that he wore when he went to watch the Demons and they tucked a little photo of their dad and mum in the top pocket because neither of them were still here and sat watching the game with that jacket. And it reminded me of the article you wrote, Rana, about the ties that we have between family and our loves and our heart and football. And that meant a lot to me. The other thing about that song, the other thing about having Auld Lang Syne in that Melbourne song is that it's it's a song about endings and beginnings. And I think this was the end of a particular era of the Demons, which has been a tough one. And there's been, you know, many, many, many tough and um, cold days sitting in the outer watching your team lose. But I, I really feel that we might be at the start of a new beginning of what might be a dynasty, who knows. But I think the Ds of 2022 are going to be hard to beat. And with eight players under 21, I wonder if they'll be able to go back to back and give their fans a grand final and a premiership at the G. There was a really beautiful through line in what the Ds were doing, which was all about being yourself. And I think it was a conversation that Simon Goodwin had been having with them all season. And I really felt like I saw that represented by the players and even by Simon Goodwin himself. I was intrigued to see a coach 
participate so much in the confetti moments and in the selfies and all that kind of stuff. Is that what you know of him, Rana? No, not at all. And and maybe the players do and we just haven't seen it. But Simon Goodwin doesn't smile. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen him smile all that much. And I think actually Kate Roffey, I saw an interview where Kate Roffey said that when the chips were down and people were questioning Simon Goodwin and his ability to coach, Kate Roffey did say to him, be yourself, the players love you. And you could see that on Saturday night and since in the celebrations. And I, I absolutely loved it. But it, it, another thing that really got me was um, in terms of being yourself was there was a point in the game where the players could see that they'd won a premiership and they were just enjoying playing the game and Christian Petrarca is known to be a bit of a larrikin and gets up and about and he was celebrating and quite visibly and Stephen May was saying to him no get your head back in the game <laughs> I just thought that that was so beautiful two players being themselves for Stephen May it was like no no the job's not done and Christian was I was like, no, I'm going to smile and celebrate. I just thought that was beautiful. It was hilarious. The pregame and the omens, we have to get to it because it really is our bread and butter here. Alicia, you wrote an absolutely beautiful poem, which we'll play later in the show. How did you feel about how musos and music and Australian music was represented? I feel like they're really trying to warm us up for a night grand final to always be the norm. It's so funny you should say that because, I mean, listening to us just absolutely celebrate the as we should, we're sort of not, you know, downplaying the Bulldogs a little bit. And in 2016, we were just jumping for joy the same way we are now. And it's that thing that, you know, we're always going for the underdogs. And and sometimes we as Victorians or Melbournians just think the MCG is hallowed ground and it's the only, it's the absolute home of football. So to see it so beautifully done at Perth Stadium was just such a lovely thing. And I think to celebrate Australian music was incredible at a time when so many Australian musicians are absolutely suffering, put to the background. It isn't a choice between music, literature and sport, is it, um, to some people out there in Twitter land? Um, you can love both. And I think that um, it, it is one of those things that just to see it celebrated that way and, you know, some notes didn't hit and some notes just rocked and I was really, yeah, I was surprised at how emotional I was. It was emotional. Also, unfortunately, Simon Goodwin didn't get to do a speech at the end of the presentation. I still want to hear from him. I don't know if anyone has heard from him yet. And also the Norm Smith being handed out, Julia, have you ever seen someone kick six in a grand final and not get best on? (laughs) No, but he had a few handed to him. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's rough. Like on any other day he would have. But if you look at the votes, you know, it was a unanimous BOG to Petrarca from all the voters and then everyone else gave um, Fritsch second best on. So that's just how it is, I guess. And it's, it would be hard to go past 40 touches and two goals. For it's sure. 39. Oh, they took one away. I was actually, that was one away. of the things that really stood out to me was that the um, the champion data did an audit and Petrarca lost a handball along the way um, and brought it down to 39. And while you think, well, quibbling over one possession, the difference was he equaled Simon Black's record rather than beating it. Um, so it's a pretty key handball to, to uh, miss mm. out on. I thought that was quite, I don't know, I, th- I feel like that said something about the day. You know, there was so many people were so caught up in the moment 
that, you know, emotion got a little ahead of reality and next thing you know. There were some big emotions sent to us via Twitter and I just love the community of watching it on the couch with my mobile in my hand. Kate, you must have been all over it. There was a big omen at the start of the game, massive. It probably hasn't been a bigger one, only the Collingwood banner tearing before the West Coast Premiership. Mm. Yeah, it's and it's in the same ballpark. It's 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 all part of the same thing, and and, and indeed also that that year where Richmond beat Adelaide and Adelaide's formation at the start of the game was was off. So it was what I'm calling Ribbon Gate, which was. <laughs> And look, uh, even as I say it, I, I just have to begin with the disclaimer that I really feel for whoever it was that prepared the cup <laughs> and tied the ribbons on the cup because um, they couldn't have known that this that this would happen. But yeah, what happened was that the the um, the cup ambassador Glenn Jakovic brought the the cup out onto the ground, and of course, this is at the start of the game. And of course, on one handle you had the red and blue ribbons for Melbourne. And on the other, you had the red, white and blue for the Bulldogs. And then he handed the cup to uh, Gary Lyon and Chris Grant, who were going to, you know, one of them was going to present the cup to the winner. And the ribbon on the Western Bulldogs side slid down the handle. And Chris Grant, to his credit, noticed it. And I saw him putting his hand underneath and trying to push the ribbon back up, which I think, in my view, explains why the dogs came back and <laughs> hit the front. Um, <laughs> But it then slipped back down again and, I th- and you know, we saw that replicated in the way that the game ebbed and flowed. And, and I did say to you all on the text and the moment it happened, there's, a, there's an omen and it's ominous and I, I, think, it, I think it was the decider. So I, I feel for the person who, who tied the ribbons on. I hope, you know, they're surrounded by a lot of support and uh, loved ones. But in future years, we need to really make sure that those ribbons are tied on as tight as possible because they're, they're key. Okay. I actually, I think it's so serious that I propose there should be a Royal Commission into it. <laughs> yes. And can I while we're the, at it. Can I be the commissioner? Sure. I, I'm, I'm fine qualified. with that. I'm ready to roll. But while we're at it, I'd also like a Royal Commission into the linking of the song by ABBA that was released in 1979 titled Gimme, 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 (laughs) and its very strong association with both the AFL-M and the AFL-W because it's it's, it's very strange. It's a song that only peaked at number three and that was in 1979. It's only 10th in the list of most popular ABBA songs But we saw early in 2020 the Collingwood AFLW team put out what is quite a difficult-to-watch Insta story of them all singing it. With Brisbane, we saw the AFLW team. They were expected to lose and they pre-game were in the sheds singing this song. They came out and beat Richmond. And then at the end of the grand final, we saw the men of the Melbourne football team jumping up and down singing it as well. So I'm not sure if it's a case of musical contagion. Um, (laughs) Granted, it is a banger. I would probably prefer they went with Madonna's Hung Up, which uses the sample. That at least went to number one. But because of just the seriousness of this, and I don't think we can ever take ABBA's association with football seriously enough. I think it's, it's especially for someone like Emma, it could actually push her out of the game. So I thought if you're going to get a statement on this, there's only two people that I could possibly turn to. 
Um, when you think of football and music, who do you go to? You go to Rebecca Goddard. So I asked her for a statement. <laughs> And she said, basically, it's a bit of a mystery to me, and I'm quoting her here. She said, I'd never heard it in the change rooms before until I'd arrived at Hawthorne and the girls had it on their playlist. I think it's just one of those catchy tunes. And look, Beck usually can answer my questions. I felt like that didn't quite get to the crux of it. So I thought football, pop culture. I went to Darcy Vessio and Darcy said, and this is a quote, it's an official quote from her. I feel like the song is perfect to sing as a group up to the skies, similar to It's Raining Men. The boys probably feeling a bit cheeky singing it too, letting their guards down, allowing themselves to break free of the pretty stereotype. Could be said for the girls too. <laughs> Why are you not on special comments? Me? There's a royal commission question. coming for that. Julia, did you have something like oh, this? <laughs> I, I don't. What I want to say is, are we just showing our collective age? Because they're not singing the ABBA song. Rana, you're the youngest person here. What are they actually singing? No, no, I, I don't know, but I just know that we're wrong in some way. <laughs> they're not singing. They're singing a song from t- 2020 or 2021 that obviously sampled the ABBA, ABBA song intensely, but I think that they wouldn't know the ABBA song. We need a Googling on this. We're going to cross now to Benny and Bjorn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Friends of the hey, you're the closest we've got to Benny and Bjorn. <laughs> Did you have something on this? That's true. I'm full Bjorn. I do have a beard and moustache in lockdown. Um, so what disappoints me most about it is that I think I feel like it's uh, that the players are sending a message to the AFL and to the public, which frankly I don't like, which is that they're supportive of a night grand final. <laughs> Because I believe that the players have been changing the lyrics to say, give me, give me, give me a flag after midnight rather than a man after midnight. And that, I mean, <laughs> you know, the way that the the game dragged on, the day dragged on, the game dragged on, the medal ceremony dragged on, it felt like to me that the flag wouldn't be presented <laughs> until after midnight at the rate at which Basil was uh, dragging things, dragging things out and, if if that's the message that the players are trying to send, that they're endorsing a night grand final, I just want to put it on the record that I'm opposed, deeply opposed to it. Alicia, do you have any update for us there? You are our musical correspondent. Oh, <laughs> um, I was just uh, in, in the world of ABBA and then, like Kate said, got into Madonna Land and uh, I didn't even know what Gimme, Gimme, Gimme was because <laughs> I'm such a non-pop person. And, yes, there is a man at the midnight. Yeah, I think we were all aware there was a man after midnight, but I was shocked <laughs> that they all wanted him. That was my only surprise. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm so here for it. Maybe they want someone else on the bench. <laughs> I feel like this all comes back to Gil. I feel like this has been Gil's making. Gil's doing like he's um subliminal messaging yeah. or something. Yeah, like in the plot of Zoolander, that what we're hearing <laughs> is it's being piped in, and eventually we'll all come on board with it. Um, this is very Q and on. This is, this is very Q and on now. This pod. <laughs> you know what else? I've been a long standing. I mean, I hate Abba, but I'm also on the record of saying that I hate third quarters. And I think <laughs> this one may have won me over. I've just watched that third quarter over and over again because I can't work out. It's like a trick of the eye. I don't know how they do it and I don't know how they get 16. I'm watching it. It's like when my mum's watching cricket and whenever they replay 
getting a wicket. She goes, oh, we got another one. And then my dad goes, no, it's a replay, Eli. <laughs> and I feel like I'm watching that in the third and start of the fourth. And I'm like, didn't we just see this? And then it happens again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Shelly, how do you feel about the, um, I'm putting on the spot here because I know exactly how you feel about it. Because of social media now, we see all the carry on after the game. We see so much. Do we see too much, Shelly? Yeah, I'm not really interested in seeing a lot of that. I don't think it's for the public eye. I think it's their private business and I think that we can celebrate and enjoy. But what I've been seeing at nightclubs, I don't know if I'm an old prude or whatever it is, but I just don't need to see people on each other's shoulders with their tongues hanging out and hands up in the air shaking it all about. I can do that in my own time. I don't need to see other people doing yeah, it. Yeah, you have to just endure that on the group chat. And that's just Brana. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it works for me on a very personal level. But I have to agree, when I watch these players on the field, you think they're these heroes, I guess, who can tackle anything and they're giants in my mind. And then you see them on the dance floor and... They kind of oh, they're no triple threat. <laughs> they're no triple threat. No, they're and no you realise how young they all are, that they're just tiny little boys. Nicole, did you stay awake till the very end? I am very proud to say that I did. I'm not going to say I stayed up much afterwards, but I did see a whole game and I wasn't feeling confident about that around 2 o'clock, so I had a little nap and turns out that was all it took. I have to say, I think what's been really uh, fun for me or what's interesting is I have these supporters very close to me and so I say this with all love and affection, but they're kind of the Eeyore of the football world, like, you know, that that's that, ex, that resigned defeatism. It's pretty powerful that. And I think it's such a big part of their identity and I'm just wondering what they're going to do going forward. They have to reinvent themselves. They're not going to get away with it anymore. And you think of someone like, you know, the Titus O'Reilly, whose entire career, his comedy career is based on the fact that Melbourne are more than likely going to disappoint. So I'm seeing a lot of midlife crises in the in the near future for these day supporters. So I'm interested to see what happens next for them. Yeah, it's a rewriting. The Tigers have rewritten it. Now our eyes have course turn to St Kilda. I think what we will see is a lot more teams playing this style of footy. For so many years we saw this really defensive, quite boring game and now what we've got on the agenda is something that I think looks a lot more like basketball and maybe that's because we've got so many basketballers in the centre at the start of all of the bounces but we're seeing so many more um, stoppages turning into goals. We're seeing people being encouraged to be themselves and to play their game rather than fit into a structure or a system. We're seeing systems and structures be created around the individuals who are there and I thought that that was a real highlight of this game and I thought it was a real highlight after the game too. I was so shocked at just how composed Max Gorn was 
at it, like he just loping, just calm. He played the captain's role so well, I thought. And then even, you know, when we saw our son, Ben Brown, on um, being interviewed, <laughs> we did adopt him halfway through the game. We all felt like we were his mums, collective mums. And when we saw him being interviewed, you know, he was just in his own skin. He was being himself and he wasn't, you know, trying on anything else. And I thought there was just such a beautiful power in that. Did, did anyone else have a reaction to that feeling? Yeah, I did. Ben sat and joined the media immediately. You know, everyone else was running around and they were getting their photos, selfies, family, you know, fairies were being made in the confetti and it was just all of that excitement. But he had that composure where he sat and talked to them and they wanted to speak to him and they said, we could keep you here all day. And in fact, they probably could have. He's such a generous, kind man. And I felt like he was very calm, his true self, and he just spoke with such pride and just such, you know, calm and that's what we also saw on the footy field. He was ready for this, you know. He was told last year, no spot for you, look elsewhere, explore other options. Look what he explored and look what happened. Now he's a premiership player. Oh, we were all very proud mums of Ben Brown. <laughs> uh, but speaking of being a mother, and I felt like I felt a mother's disappointment when I noticed that after the game, the Melbourne players were basically trolling the Bulldogs with the song that they sang in the centre after everybody left the stadium. It's tradition. The players go back to the middle of the ground and they sing their song and they have their moment when once everybody has left and the Melbourne team did that. And then they sang Free From Desire, which is what the Bulldogs posted after they won their prelim. And I felt really disappointed. I wanted to waggle my finger at that team and say, you've just won a premiership. That is not nice. Yeah, I think it's it's salty, I think, is what the young people would call it. And it goes back to what Emma was saying before about I don't actually have a problem with them doing that. I think that as a team, this is what happens after you win a final. You get to do this bonding stuff. It's the filming of it and the posting of it that I think is is a bit more mean-spirited. And do we need to see that? Do, we, do the Bulldogs need to see that? I think that that is what is quite antagonising and maybe they're, maybe they're trying to create now a, a rivalry for going forward between the two clubs, but it, it does seem unnecessary to, to be really rubbing it in their face like that. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting the way this is all playing out because so much about it is, you know, this extra access to players and seeing things that we never used to see really unless you were, you know, a, a part of the inner sanctum. Sorry, I say inner sanctum, I always have a giggle there. <laughs> unless you're part of the inner sanctum. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thanks, Emma. But yeah, ordinarily you wouldn't see that, and so um, and they're constantly trying to find that balance between humanising the players, showing them as real, fully rounded human beings, but also the downside of that is you realise that they are fully rounded human beings, which means we also see the bad or the not so positive, um, the feet of clay, and which obviously we saw on the dance floor. I don't think they've got that balance right. I think they're really struggling with that. And the players themselves are sometimes in control of those images and sometimes they're not. Um, there's That's the, the power of social media and the power of the phone that is its own little camera and media kind of outlet is that this stuff gets out whether they want it to or not. Just like an outer sanctum after party. I agree, Nicole. I I feel like like there was nothing we saw that wasn't okay. It's like, you know, it's completely fine. 
what we saw was at that three o'clock in the morning moment where you go home or you stay for whatever you want to do. And at three o'clock, I usually leave because I'm not interested about what happens after three o'clock. And we're seeing things that are happening after three o'clock in the morning and they're not maybe sometimes getting a choice of what goes out there. So I think you're right, maybe phones in a bucket on their way in. I think one of the things that we can't lose sight of, and I am playing devil's advocate here, is that that in these COVID times, they probably wanted to give access to the people who were supporting from home as much as they possibly could. And I don't know if they would have necessarily had a strategy around it. it. In a lot of cases, it wasn't the players who had just finished playing. It wasn't their phones. It was the phones of the the people who were in that in the squad who had them on them at the time. And so, look, I think it's probably the genie's a bit out of the bottle and they're going to have to rethink it going forward. But I don't feel like we have, I think mostly we see formal settings after the game where it's a controlled environment. Maybe mobile phones are still in a bucket. There's obviously been opportunities and there's been times when, you know, formerly Richmond players have been have got in trouble for inappropriate photos and things that have leaked. The other thing that I would say is that I don't know if this free from desire moment really is as salty as we are making it out to be. Maybe all the team, we don't know if Gimme Gimme is from ABBA. So what would we know about the context (laughs) of whether this has been something that they've been playing and maybe the Bulldogs, you know, had a bite first, who knows? I think we need to be open and forgiving to, to the fact that these are pretty unprecedented circumstances, but I do like to see good behavior. Again, I will say I was very shocked to see the coach on the shoulders of the captain but I kind of loved it like I was totally there for it I think Simon Goodwin is really enjoying himself and I think that's really rare as a coach I'm, I'm happy to see it Felicity and Tess Armstrong can't be with us today so Tess has recorded this telegram treat for your listening enjoyment Hi Sanctum friends it's Tess here just settling into that post-grand final footy grief period where I've realised I don't have a lot else to talk about. Like my personality is quite a lot about football. So these months I do some real soul searching before AFLW kicks off. Well, the grand final highlight for me, if it wasn't the Auskick kids frolicking in that confetti after the game, which seemed just the, the most fun I've ever seen anyone have on telly, it's Adam Trelaw and Ben Brown showing that second chances are so meaningful, taking their moment in a grand final and absolutely blitzing it on the biggest stage couldn't be happier for them and it made my footy romantic heart sing. And I was thinking about my season highlight and really a lot of it was a blur for me. The whole year has been a bit of a blur, but really that plays into my highlight because it was more the vibe of the thing. It felt to me like the beginning of a new footy era. A couple of years back, like three or four years ago, we had this at the same time, huge collection of players, like iconic players retire all at the same time. It was Bob Murphy and Joe Watson and Stevie J, Heretia Lumumba, Luke Hodge, Nick Rewalt. It was just this huge class of players all retired at the same time. And it felt really end of era stuff. And for a few years, I feel like we haven't really kicked off again. And this year just felt like a new beginning. And we had those young bombers who were just super fun to watch and I feel like they're a real a real threat. Errol at the Swans, I mean the Swans themselves, absolutely magnificent. Frio and Caleb Sarong, all rewriting their club and just refreshing, putting reset button on where their clubs were at and away they went. Bailey Smith and Aaron Norton rocking the dogs forward line with just excellent hair and such youthful energy, which I've forgotten what that felt like until I see them. Sam Walsh in the Brownlow count. 
and Melbourne's new generation putting their demons behind them and winning that flag finally. I feel like the next few years are going to be fun. I've got something for you to watch. In the off-season, I'm going to be watching the movements of Melbourne very closely because Sir Swamp Thing has reminded us of this incredible statistic where no VFL or AFL grand final winning lineup have ever played together in the same team again. There's always been at least one player missing. So the case of the missing demon is going to keep me occupied until next year. Who will it be? Are we all ready if I come around and ask you for highlights of the entire season? This will be our last Malay pod for 2021, the year that has gone for two and a half decades. It's hard to think back on what some of the highlights have been. I will remind you that this was the season we said goodbye to Eddie Betts and Sean Burgoyne, where Port really fired, where Sydney were on fire for so much of the season, where people were packing up and moving into hubs again and families were being asked to do the impossible, where for a very long period of time, Victoria was the only place that football could be played, which right now seems surreal. Is anyone ready to give me a highlight for the AFL-M season or just for 2021, Lucy? Yeah, look, in a year of social distancing, I've got to say, I did love those players who ended up in the crowd. You remember very early on, Tom Papley ended up sitting in the front row. I love going back and seeing those things. And I think that's why I love watching the Brownlow because you get a bit of a recap of the season that was. But for me, it was footy as entertainment. It was the comebacks. There was close games. I haven't really gone and looked at the statistics on this, but it feels like there were more draws than normal. And really the changing of the guard. And for me, the club that really epitomised that was the Swans, just to see how well they did and the fact that they got to play finals. And a little shout out to my team, Hawthorne, who by the end of the season, I was really enjoying watching those games and just would like to remind everybody that we drew with Melbourne. Fair play, Nicole. I'm going to be a little parochial and I can't go past Sean Burgoyne's 400th game. I mean, to be fifth in all-time player to do to hit that 400 is extraordinary in and of itself, the first Indigenous man as well. But when you think about where he was in, you know, 2009, 2010 when he came to Hawthorne and so to do it across two clubs, to win four premierships and to be changing clubs, moving states at what looked like the end of his career and then to just bang on another 11 years. I, you know, I don't know that we'll get to see that again, to be honest, but obviously it's a real credit to himself and to his team and and the way it was managed at Hawthorne. And I don't doubt there was some luck in there as well, but what an incredible spirit, what an incredible tribute to that man, that his character to be able to, to carry the weight of that and to uh, finish out this season, maybe not the best way possible, but in terms of the result, but certainly to be a role model to so many and probably the likes of which we're not going to see again for a while. You say carry the weight of that and it always paints a picture in my mind of Amy Burgoyne saying, Sean, can you help me lift this couch? And him saying, no, because I've got to play tomorrow and I'm not putting my body on the line for moving the furniture. And I think about how the families are impacted at every turn of the dial. Julia, what was your highlight for the for the season? Well, look, I'm a long-suffering Carlton supporter, Shelley, both are. And so for me, the thing I hope that Carlton learn from this year is the be yourself, back yourself narrative that we've seen. 
You know, we've already spoken about the transformation of Simon Goodwin, the Kate Roffey's talking about that backing him in, giving him his belief in himself and his systems. They got amazing support around him so that he could be himself. And I feel like with Carlton, we've we've just had this era of rolling coaches, turning over coaches and, and not backing them in and not supporting them and being so short-sighted and if they don't give us a premiership in two years, we turf them and Carlton have a very talented list and I would love to see us deal with the fact that they might not be brilliant next year but just let the system play out, like let it happen and I hope that my club is watching what happened at Melbourne and saying it's okay. Melbourne was 17th a few years ago and they just won a premiership. That's what that's what it takes. So Michael Voss is the new coach of my club and I would love to see them back him in and just believe that it takes time. And I think that we've learned that over the last few years that you need to believe in the coach. That was the same with Hardwick, that they backed him in even with the, when the times were tough at Richmond. So that's what I'm taking from this year. Lovely. Alicia? Well, I just want to circle back just to say that I'm in love with the way Julia says Carlton. It's, I'm going <laughs> to turn it I into say? a poem. Say it again. Carlton. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, um, a highlight for me. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> it's very John no, Elliot is. Oh, I'm so sincere. Oh, okay. I'm going to write a poem about you, Julia. <laughs> um, I'd love, obviously, to say about Burgoyne and, of course, uh, Eddie Betts, 350 games, 640 goals. It just killed me. But I want to go to a really strange moment, and that was round one on Adelaide Oval where Adelaide debutant James Rowe got his first goal. What was really exciting, this was against Geelong, is that uh, James is the son of Stephen Rowe, who used to play for Adelaide as well. And he was commenting on a radio station. He's like, oh, you good boy. (laughs) And I thought that was just so much like Jessica Fox winning her gold medal in the C1 slalom canoeing event. Her dad, Richard Fox, is like, oh, well done. She's a very good person. And we all just, you know, and there's, there's James going, oh, Good boy. Such a good boy. I just I I just think it's beautiful. It sums up footy for me. But listening to you guys all year was a highlight too. Oh, bless you. Thanks, Alicia. What about you, Katie? Uh, I'm going to be pretty parochial and say something that's a bit one-eyed, but that links to what Julia was talking about. So for me as a Hawthorne supporter, there wasn't a lot to celebrate this year, particularly in the sort of first half of the year, apart from, you know, a couple of early pretty exciting wins against Essendon and then a comeback against Adelaide, which was fabulous. But then we really dipped and it felt like a long season, particularly in lockdown. But what I realised as the season progressed and as we sort of started to come good and we won a few games towards the end is that actually I almost enjoy watching footy the most when my team's a bit down and out and I can start to see little green shoots of promise emerging and some young players that have potential and I can kind of dream about what the next few years might hold and whether or not they end up, that ends up coming to fruition is a different question. But I do love footy when it's like that. And often I think, you know, the most joyous time that I've ever watched footy was sort of 2006, 2007, when Hawthorne started to come good after a long time in the wilderness. And so that was really joyful for me. And it, and to come back to what Julia said, it it has made me think about how Uh, overjoyed Melbourne supporters are and there was a tweet that Titus O'Reilly did that summed this up he said it's all been worth it all of it and that's 
I think that's at the heart of footy, you know, when all those years when Melbourne really was down and out and really struggled, the idea that it's kind of worth it because you end up getting this payoff, even if it's decades in the making, is beautiful. And one thing we didn't mention was that Viney was interviewed on the ground in the immediate aftermath of the game. And I was really moved by what he said because he said, you know, I remember with, with this club when I was drafted, my first game we were beaten by 80 points. My second game we were beaten by 150 points. People threw stuff at us and here we are. And it was just great, you know. I mean, not that they had been through that and certainly not that they'd had fans throw things at them, but that the the team persisted and they really did it the hard way and the fans did it the hard way. And I actually love footy when it's like that. So so for me, I go into next season with a lot of hope about my own team and, and actually it's it's enjoyable when it's like that. Shelley? So for me, it's been the high-flying marks. The return of the high-flying marks has been very, very exciting. We've seen the ball move a lot faster this year. And I think that's been because of the standrel which has contributed to people actually kicking into contested marks a lot more in that one-on-one and we're seeing people flying up in the air and it's just been spectacular. That's where we got, you know, the Jezelenko kind of scream, you know. So it was so nice to see Shea Bolton win, um, you know, mark of the year this year. It was just spectacular. So I've loved the return of the high-flying mark. Great nomination. Rana, do we even... We're coming to you. I mean, it took you 57 years to get here. What's your highlight? (laughs) I mean, look... I would love to keep talking about a premiership win as my highlight, but I won't. I suppose for me, I'm so glad you mentioned the stand rule, Shelley, because we've taken to just yelling out stand, stand, when anyone has to freeze or do something in our house. We've adopted that. I'm going to do a bit of a top and tail. My highlight is both round one and round 23, because round one, Um, was my last game as a Richmond employee but also my first game back at the footy and uh, at men's footy and in a crowd of 50,000 people and it was just so weird but amazing and it felt like things were going to go back to normal and it was a really wonderful feeling. So I loved that and it just felt like being back at the G was everything for me and I miss it so much. But then round 23, Lucy, you talked about draws and close games and round 23 gave us every single one of those outcomes in one round. And you'll remember results, who was going to play in finals coming down to percentages in that round. It was just the best weekend of football. So that was probably my highlight of the season, I reckon. Very good nomination. My nomination is going to be super, super parochial, so parochial that you want to scratch your eyes out. But uh, my highlight for this AFLM season has been the tenacity of us, the Outer Sanctum. It's been the sisterhood of football. It's been seeing so many more people who look and sound like us having conversations that look and sound like the conversations we have. While the work is still hard, I feel like we've got an army of people behind us and above us. And I feel like the conversation has changed. So in a year where I didn't think it could get much tougher than last year's lockdown. This year's lockdown has really knocked us all um, for more than a six. And I just, I can't believe that we are 10 strong at this point of the game, that we declared our independence and that I have seen each one of you grow beyond what I think we ever anticipated was possible when we first came together as a group. And I am beyond proud to be friends with you and to be colleagues with you and 
we are each other's ride or dies. When an earthquake happened, this was the group that I went to first. You gave me the best information and you gave me the best memes, as always. And the love is so strong, so real. And the fact that we're now primed and ready to go into an AFLW season that we can make our own, I'm really excited about what we can achieve together. And when I say together, I mean with our listeners because they came across with us. And that was a really scary moment. We jumped off a cliff and in the words of Simon Goodwin, we were just we just decided it was time for us to be ourselves. It's time for us to get out of here. We're going to take a little break between now and the AFLW season. We'll still be dropping one pod a week. It'll be a fifth quarter style chat and we hope that you'll stick with us. But we'll be back with an absolute vengeance when it's time for AFLW, which at the moment looks like AFLW will start on the 8th of January. But of course, we are all beholden to this awful pandemic. And so you'll need to be following us on socials to get the updates or at least downloading the fifth quarter. If something of enormous significance happens, there's no reason why we couldn't get together in melee, but I think we're going to take this time just to regroup and we'll be dropping one episode of the fifth quarter a week. We're so grateful to all of you for following us. There's only one thing really left for us to say. Go This is my poem, Dear AFL Grand Final, twice. This is twice you've been away from Melbourne and twice we'll be watching from the cold, long arms of the overworn and fraying couch in yet another lockdown. Without friends who will come to our barbecues just for the chance to see our faces while our team loses by only a few points. Without family to celebrate the way we jump up and down and scream at the TV while we hold on to the tongs in our hands. Without scanning the room for confirmation of ball. Without gently holding onto someone's shoulder saying, I think we've got this. Without neighbours who will pop in just for a casual few. Without the thrill and buzz of thunderous backyard celebrations heard over fence, over fence, over fence, over fence. We know we're not alone, as so many other places are doing this tough too. Some are alone or not where they want to be or stuck with the smallest of TVs. And thank the football heavens we don't need a special antenna. But it's still hard for some. AFL Grand Final. You'll get to run out onto Perth Stadium on proud Noongar ground in front of 25,000 eager fans shouting at the top of their lungs. Melbourne Football Club v Western Bulldogs. What a show. Take it all in. Breathe the fine footy air. Have a pie or a veggie spread for all of us. Get out the rugs, the flags, the banners and the handmade signs that will declare... Gorn is here to stay, or Bonty is king. The crowd will be hungry, starving for good play from the centre bounce. The roar will shudder and rumble everyone out of their seat. Stand and let the air rush by you on the wing. Let your hair swing free. Not since 1954 have these two met like this and D's with a drought of 57 years. Go Petrarca, Oliver, Pickett, Viney. Go McRae, Norton, Liberatore, Smith. This year, the world threw us so many curveballs. 
and earthquakes as well. This grand final is definitely going to shake things up. Dees versus dogs. The universe has given us something to cheer for.